Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Uh, well, let me start with a question. What is the most important meal of the day? Um, you all know the answer. The answer is breakfast, isn't it? It's breakfast. Um, you've probably heard um, an elderly woman, perhaps a wife, say at some point, um, you should eat breakfast like a king, lunch like a prince, and dinner like a pauper. And now my guess is um, that many of us probably don't follow that, do we? Um, breakfast like a king. Um, for me at the moment, breakfast has been rivita covered in peanut butter. Um, I'm trying to lose weight, hence the rivita bit. Um, it's not exactly breakfast like a king, is it? And, you know, breakfast like a king, what comes to mind? For me, it's a forged damn breakfast. Who's been for a forged damn breakfast? Menu. It's, it's, the, it's the big breakfast. It's two sausages, three rashes of bacon, hash browns, beans, two eggs, fried, obviously, mushrooms, toast, and tea. And then plenty of that ketchup. You have to push the thing down. Loads of that. Keep that going. I love it. That is breakfast like a king. And we might be thinking, why am I banging on about breakfast? Well, look at verse 12. Get your Bibles open, please. John 21, verse 12. Um, Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Come and have breakfast. Uh, breakfast is front and centre in John chapter 21. And the thing we're going to think about this morning is who you have breakfast with, what you eat, and how do you respond to that breakfast. And breakfast is the most important meal of the day. And this morning we're going to see how the resurrection affects breakfast, if you like. And we're going to see what the resurrection means to how you can eat breakfast like a king. Well, breakfast like a king. Firstly, um, who do you eat with? Uh, breakfast like a king. You have breakfast with your king, Jesus. And we join the story in John's Gospel. Uh, and the disciples are on the Sea of Tiberias. Um, that's the Lake of Galilee. And all night long they've been fishing. All night long. And they've caught nothing. Um, which, if you, you know anything about the disciples, that's happened before. And it doesn't seem they're very up to much when it comes to fishing. And as they're about to give up, a stranger on the shore pipes up. And if you're anything like me, that gets annoying. When something's not going well, the last thing I want is a stranger to start giving me advice. Uh, And the stranger, verse 5, what does he do? He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? (laughs) No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Um, Not only is this stranger interrupting them, uh, but he's right, (laughs) worse than ever. And they have this enormous catch of fish. And at that miracle, um, John, one of the disciples, he works out who the stranger on the shore is. Look at verse 7. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. And I guess we think, well, how does he know? How does he know that this stranger on the shore is Jesus? Well, the first time the disciples met Jesus was in a similar situation. They were on a boat, and they tried all night long to catch fish, and they'd caught nothing. Uh, But Jesus was on the boat that time. Uh, And he told them um, to do it a different way, and then they caught a huge number of fish that the nets broke. And so when John sees And this massive number of fish, he puts the two together and says, "Ah, it's the Lord. It's the Lord. 
He has deja vu from Luke chapter 5, if you like. Uh, But here's the surprise. Here's the link. Um, Let me just read to you what Peter does in response in Luke chapter 5 to the miracle of the great catch of fish. When Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. Uh, The first miracle of the catch of fish, Peter says to Jesus, I can't be near you. He senses his overwhelming sinfulness and Jesus' overwhelming holiness. He can't bear to be near Jesus. Maybe that's like many of us, I guess. Um, Have you ever felt so wretched that approaching Jesus would be the last thing you could possibly do? Have you ever felt like that because you've acted in a certain way or said something or thought something that is just so terrible that you think Jesus would turn his back on you and want nothing to do with you. Well, that's how Peter responded in Luke chapter 5. But back in John 21, look how he responds now. Verse 7. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he'd taken it off, and he jumped into the water. This is like the opposite Luke chapter 5, isn't it? Instead of wanting to be as far from Jesus as possible, he throws his cloak on, jumps into the water, and swims to Jesus. He's desperate to be near him. Desperate. And yet my question in my head is, is Peter any less sinful than he was in Luke chapter 5? Is Jesus any less holy than he was in Luke chapter 5? The answer to both of those questions is no, isn't it? It's no. Peter is just as sinful. Uh, Look at verse 9. Now, when they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish and some bread on it. Uh, And if you've been reading John's Gospel closely, we read the previous chapters, the last time we saw a burning fire and Peter together was when Peter denied Jesus three times. Three times he was asked, are you a disciple of Jesus? And he denied it. Someone else asked him, are you a disciple of Jesus? And he denied it. And then someone said to him, you were with Jesus, weren't you? And he denied it. Peter had said that he would die for Jesus. Yet the coal of the burning fire, he wouldn't even admit he knew him. Peter is just a sinful And Jesus is just as holy. He's the crucified and risen Lord of the whole universe. And yet Peter dares approach. Yes, he runs, swims to Jesus. How can he? I mean, what's changed from Luke chapter 5? Well, everything's changed. Because Jesus has died and risen again. Peter knows that something about Jesus' death and resurrection means that he can come to Jesus as sinful as he is, he can approach him confidently despite his sin, despite his failure. I mean, let's just pause a second and consider how amazing that is. A minute ago, I asked you to think of things that maybe you've done, you've said, or you've thought about that maybe you can't come anywhere near Jesus anymore. Well, this section is telling us you can. Jesus is crucified and risen. You can approach him with confidence. Your sin really has been dealt with. 
whatever you thought, whatever you said, whatever you've done, you can come to Jesus. Um, they drag the fish ashore, and, and Peter gets there, and, and he sees Jesus at the coal of the fire, with the fish and the bread on it. And the question is, how do you think Jesus is going to respond to him after he failed him, betrayed him? Well, look at verse 12. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. The risen Lord Jesus invites Peter and all the disciples who failed him to eat with him. They all failed. They all left him in the garden. All of them. I love these words of Jesus. Come and have breakfast. Come and eat with me. It's okay. You're my friends, he says in verse 5. You're my friends. You can eat with me. I accept you. You're forgiven. Peter, yes, even you. You can eat with me. They've all fled from Jesus in the garden, yet here he is at the shore, inviting them to breakfast. I think what Jesus is saying, look, in my death and resurrection, I really have dealt with your sin. My resurrection declares the work I did on the cross as a victory. It worked. So come and enjoy a victory breakfast with me. Breakfast with the King. The risen Lord Jesus invites failures, sinners, people who betray him, like you and me, to breakfast. To fellowship. Um, Peter had blown it, hadn't he? And my guess is that many of us here feel like we've let Jesus down just as badly. You know, we've denied him with our work colleagues. We've, we've kept quiet when we should have spoken up. And yet it is failures, sinners, people like you and me, who say they'll do anything for Jesus and don't, are welcome to breakfast with King Jesus. If that's you this morning, I look at Jesus' death and resurrection. It means you're forgiven. You're accepted. You're Jesus' friend. You are welcomed and invited to breakfast with Jesus. I said, breakfast like a king? Well, it's breakfast with Jesus. Uh, Breakfast like a king? Well, well, what do you eat? Well, just look with me at verse 12 again. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. And none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them. And he did the same with the fish. And Jesus invites these failures to breakfast with them, and he feeds them. And he feeds them bread and fish. And this should have our John sensor beeping, if you like. Um, By the John sensor, I mean something like on posh cars, um, when you get near something, they start to beep when you're trying to park. And when you get near something important like a car or a wall, your car sensor beeps, doesn't it? I just use spatial awareness, but some people need that, uh, the beeper. Um, and it, it beeps when it's near something important. And our, our John sensor should be beeping frantically at this point when Jesus starts to give them bread and fish. Just like our John sensor would have been beeping if we'd been reading all the way through when we both saw the coal fire. And because bread and fish are not just like the cocoa pops of the day. And bread and fish have come up in John's gospel before. In John chapter 6, Jesus fed 5,000 people from a lunch of bread and fish. 
And after he'd done that, he says something very interesting. So I want us to turn to it now, because it'll help us understand what's going on here. And John chapter 6, if you'll turn with me there, it's page 1071. And we're going to look at John chapter 6 and verses 48 to 51. And that'll help us understand what Jesus is doing in John chapter 21. So John chapter 6 and verse 48. Uh, Jesus declares, I am the bread of life. Your forefathers ate the manna in the desert, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which man may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Breakfast like a king, you feed on Jesus. Jesus is saying, you can now come and feed on me. I am the bread of life, that's what he's saying. Come and have breakfast, come and feed on me and live forever. And back in the Old Testament, and God's people were enslaved in Egypt. And God miraculously rescued them, didn't he? He sent the Passover and the firstborn, but they put the blood on the doorposts. Uh, they were saved. He put them through the River Jordan. Uh, destroying all their enemies and when they came out the other side uh, they started to moan and they said they were going to die and so what did the God do for his saved people he provided manna every morning at breakfast for them every morning and they were to feed on it so that they would keep going and make it all the way to the promised land so each day uh, God's saved people would, would feed on the manna and it would fuel them, if you like, give them life so that they would make it to be with God in his place forever. And what Jesus is saying about himself, he says, look, just as the Israelites fed on the manna as safe people to bring them to the promised land, so are we to feed on him. He is our life-giving bread. We're to feed on him in the same way. Now, here's the parallel, if you like. We are saved people by what Jesus has done through his death and resurrection. That's what we are. And what are we to do every day? We're to feed on Jesus so that we will keep going to be with him forever. Daily. Well, what does all this mean? How, I mean, how do we feed on Jesus' flesh? It sounds a bit um, Hannibal Lecter-esque, doesn't it? Uh, well, do you see what Jesus said about his flesh? He said it's been, been given, broken on the cross, and he's now resurrected. And I think what he's trying to say is, look, you feed on me by feeding on the benefits of my death and my resurrection. Um, so let's just think about eating bread for a second. Um, Jesus didn't use this illustration for, for no reason. It's important. So let's think about eating bread. When you eat bread, um, what do you do? You put it in your mouth, obviously, that's how you eat and you, you taste it. And if you're like me, you enjoy bread. It's tasty, isn't it? You enjoy its goodness. And you don't just keep it in your mouth the whole time, do you? Because that's not how you eat. You then swallow it. You take it down. You digest it. So that it fuels you and gives you life. Well, I think what Jesus is saying is that we are to take hold of the benefits of his death and resurrection in the same way, to taste it, enjoy it, and to digest it, to take it deep down into us, 
and so that it gives us life. Uh, like the bread, uh, we're to taste and enjoy the benefits of Jesus' death and resurrection. I think he's saying, look, see why it's so amazing. So let's just pause for a second and see and taste how good Jesus' death and resurrection is. Let's just do it using John's Gospel uh, for a second. Just um, turn back a chapter in John's Gospel, sorry, to John chapter 20. Well, it's probably forward because we're in John 6, aren't we? And turn to John chapter 20 and verse 17. We're going to see a quick few of the, the wonderful things that Jesus' death and resurrection means for us. Uh, John chapter 20 and verse 17. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet returned to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am returning to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Here is the risen Lord speaking to Mary, and he says, God is now your God. God is now your father, and you are his child. Isn't that amazing? We become children of God through Jesus' death and resurrection. And one of the things I often talk about with the young people is how we are united to Jesus. And so the what is Jesus becomes ours as well. We get to enjoy what is his. And so God the Father loves Jesus, God the Son, incredibly, doesn't he? And through Jesus' death and resurrection and believing in it, we are united to Jesus so that now God the Father loves us just as he loves God the Son. We are loved children of God the Father if we believe in Jesus' death and resurrection. How sweet and tasty is that? Or just flip on a couple of verses, John chapter 20 and verse 19. On the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Jesus' death and resurrection means we have peace. We have nothing to fear. And they were scared of the Jews. They were worried about being taken off and killed. And Jesus stands up and says, look, I am the risen Lord of the whole universe. You've got nothing to fear. And I think this peace idea isn't just, um, don't worry about um, people on this earth will give you trouble. It's like, you've got peace with God now. You used to be his enemy. And I brought you back into his friend. But peace with him. How good is that? Or John chapter 20 and verse 29, uh, Jesus speaking to Thomas, he told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. If you believe in Jesus' death and resurrection, Jesus says that you are blessed, that you are highly favoured by the God who made the whole world. Uh, But there's more. Turn over to John 21, the bit we had read, and verse 5. Jesus calls out to them, friends. Friends, haven't you any fish? Friends. Jesus' death and resurrection means that we are his friends. He loves us. Have you tasted any of these good things yet? These wonderful benefits of Jesus' death and resurrection? There's so many more. This is just scratching the surface. If you start feeding on these benefits, you'll taste how sweet 
and how good it is. Like bread and manna, digest Jesus. Take these sweet truths and make them go right down into you. Um, so don't just enjoy the, the, the sweet taste. Let them seep into your very being. Ponder upon them. Pray about them. Let them saturate every fibre of your being. Praise God for them. And so that more and more you know these benefits that come from Jesus' death and resurrection. That they become the foundation of your life. And that they replace any previous foundations in your life. Let the fact that you are a child of God define who you are. Let the fact that you have peace with God define who you are. Let the fact that you're a friend of Jesus define who you are. Let the fact that you are blessed by the God who made the universe define who you are. Let that be the foundation of who you are in your life. And let these truths give you life. See, if we feast on these daily, this will affect how we respond in any situation, won't it? You know, when you you sin next and you feel like you're unacceptable to God, well, if you're feasting on the truths of Jesus' death and resurrection, you won't run from him, you'll run to him. Because his death and resurrection means it's all been dealt with. And when you sin next, look back at what Jesus has done through his death and resurrection and see how much better Jesus is than that sin, that you wouldn't go back to it. And when difficult things come in life, and many of us have been through them, haven't we? Remember that Jesus' death and resurrection means life and hope. Life that goes on forever with him. And when life is frustrating and hard, if you're feasting on the benefits of Jesus' death and resurrection, you'll see that they're only momentary. And that you are loved by the God of the universe. That's incredible, isn't it? Now, I hope, um, I'm not just trying to say that we need to have quiet times. That's not what I'm saying. Um, Jesus, early on in John's Gospel, said um, to some places, you diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. These are the scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me and have life. So if you just read the Bible to kind of know stuff, well, that's not feeding on Jesus. That's doing something else. No, if you're reading the Bible, it's to know Jesus and the life he gives and all the benefits of his death and resurrection. That's what it's about. That's why we're to read our Bible. Not to know stuff, but to know Jesus. We should be praising God for all the benefits of his death and resurrection that it would shape us uh, that as we walk to work we'd be rejoicing in the fact that we are God's child uh, that as we're, we're playing sport we realise that we're a friend of Jesus uh, that whatever life throws at us we're at peace with the God of the universe and we have nothing to fear like the manna in the desert for the Israelites Jesus wants us to feed on him every day to feed on the benefits of his death and resurrection come and have breakfast he says 
This is how God is providing for us each day, that we would make it to be with him. I said, eat like a king at breakfast. I remember as a kid, um, I went to church all the time with my parents. I didn't particularly enjoy it. Um, but there was one song I always liked. We're going to sing it today, actually. And it was, um, it was that had the line in it, feed me now and evermore. And my face would light up because I love the idea of eating constantly. And my mum would always look at me because I was a hungry lad. And, um, but this, this song isn't about eating um, sausages and chips or all kind of things I just love. This is, song is all about feed me now and evermore. It's all about feeding on the benefits of Jesus' death and resurrection. Feed me now and evermore. That's what we're to feast on. That's what will keep us going. See, how good would it be to feast on those things every day? To see how good our Lord Jesus is. Well, breakfast with the king. Now you have it with Jesus. Uh, what do you eat? You, you feed on Christ, the benefits of his death and resurrection. Uh, but how do you respond? Uh, well, last week I was down in Cornwall on holiday. And um, I went to uh, Rick Stein. Rick Stein's like a famous cook type person. Um, I went to the Rick Stein fish and chip shop. Incredible, is all I can say about it. So the chips were like, you know the best kind of chip? They're crispy on the outside and soft and fluffy on the inside. Amazing. They were like, and had this beautiful piece of haddock covered in the most delicious batter. And with a little bit of sort of fat sort of runs down your cheek when you eat it. I love that. Um, when you have a good meal, you just want to talk about it, don't you? I couldn't stop talking about how good the fish and chips were when we had them. Well, it's the same with feeding on Jesus. If you had a good meal, you want to talk about it. You want to share it with others. And that's what Jesus wants us to do in response to our feeding on the benefits of his death and resurrection. Um, just look at John 21, and we're going to look at verse 15 to 17, uh, just as we close. Uh, verse 15. When they'd finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Here is um, what those who, who love feasting on the benefits of Jesus' resurrection do. They're commanded to feed others. It's pretty straightforward, really. Jesus uses failures like Peter, like me, like you, to share with other failures who he is and all he's done. Jesus says, feed on me so that you can feed others. Jesus lovingly reinstates Peter. And it's almost because he failed that Jesus tells him to feed others. Um, Peter knows how sweet the benefits of Jesus' death and resurrection are for himself, doesn't he? He knows he's a failure. And yet Jesus welcomes him back with open arms. And so Jesus says, feed others. You know how good it is. Tell others. Share it. Feed my sheep. Feed my lambs. Take care of them. 
And three times he asked him, do you love me? And to remind him that he failed him three times. But also to remind him that he's forgiven every time. Every time. And now you can share that forgiveness you've received with others. Feed my lambs, take care of my sheep, feed my sheep. And Pete wasn't alone at this breakfast. It was all the disciples, all the failures together, all who love Jesus, all feeding on what the risen Lord Jesus provides. And now they can all share this with others. You see, this is how we care for one another as a church family. So it takes care of my sheep. How do we take care of one another here at Christ Church Forward? We encourage one another to feed on the benefits of Jesus' death and resurrection. We speak the benefits of Jesus' death and resurrection to each other, constantly. And you might think, well, I'm not qualified to do that. Well, what's the qualification here for speaking to others about the benefits of Jesus' death and resurrection? It's being a failure who loves Jesus. A failure who loves and believes in Jesus. Um, So that means I qualify. That means you qualify. That means all who love and believe in Jesus qualify. And so from one failure to many others in this room, let's keep feeding each other with the benefits of Jesus' death and resurrection. It's how we'll keep going. We'll keep going in this hard world and keep trusting in him. Let's help each other to enjoy, digest and live out those benefits. Because if we do, wouldn't it be brilliant? Wouldn't it be amazing if we did that? Because more and more, this church would be a place of forgiven failures who love Jesus and can't stop speaking about the benefits of knowing him to others. And if we did that, then more and more people would become forgiven failures who love Jesus and can't stop talking about how good it is to know him. And so on and so on and so on. But it all starts with breakfast. It all starts with the crucified and risen Jesus inviting failures like you and me to breakfast. And it carries on as we feed ourselves the benefits of Jesus' death and resurrection. I said breakfast. Uh, Breakfast like a king. Uh, What are you going to have for breakfast this week? I'll probably go back to my my Vita and peanut butter, sadly. Uh, But Jesus says, look, come and have breakfast. He says, come and have breakfast with me. Feed on me and the benefits of my death and resurrection. And then share that with others. That's what he says. That's how we're going to keep going. That's how we're going to make it to be with God forever. By keep enjoying the sweetness of being a child of God. And well, let me pray as we finish. Heavenly Father, we're we're amazed uh, that you're a giving God, uh, that you gave your Son, and that if we trust in him, we are totally forgiven. We thank you that if we trust in him, we are loved by you with the same love that you love Jesus. We thank you that you're so kind and gracious, that you invite failures to breakfast 
We thank you that you're so kind and gracious that you give us the benefits of that to feed on daily. I thank you that you're so kind and gracious that we can share that with each other. Feed us now and evermore we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Well, let's stand to sing uh, that great hymn, Feed Me Now and Evermore. Uh, Let's feed together on the benefits of Jesus' death and resurrection.